to wash Rocky out of people's heads, you had to do something serious, right? Like you had to, <laughs> yeah, you did some serious damage with those sequels. Um, Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Cher. Bonjour! <laughs> yes, indeed. Bonjour. Uh, it's been a couple weeks, so I'm sure you guys have gotten riled up about something. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I'm as mad as hell! You've never seen me very upset. Uh-oh, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm on my show notes. You know, uh, Jeremy and I are probably riled up about something very recently because we just decided to venture out into our icy, treacherous roadways to mm-hmm. go to the grocery store. And let me tell you something, wherever you think your drivers are worst, people in Louisiana and L.A. and New Jersey and Kentucky – and St. Louis and Chicago, fuck you, fuck you. Nashville has the worst drivers. Nashville has the worst drivers, especially in snow. So fuck yes. you. That's actually not my rant. Okay. <laughs> my real rant is uh, something that you guys were just talking about before we started the show here. And it's the online fervor uh, that seems to be growing each episode of the show WandaVision not revealing who their, quote, big bad is. And I think these guys are cockasses for mm-hmm. even posing this question. They are cockasses, for sure. I, I understand it, I think. When you had a series such as this uh, from, say, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you always had kind of an idea of who the big bad was. At this point, which is about uh, two-thirds of the way through the show. Uh, even with Lost, you kind of knew at least there was a, a big smoke monster out there. Uh, and then so on and so forth. But the whole point of WandaVision, I think, so far, is to build that suspense. We don't need to see Ultron being built at the beginning of the, sh- the movie, in the case of Age of Ultron, and then track him all the way through. We don't have to see, you know, Bucky as the Winter Soldier show up, you know, 15 minutes in so we know what Cap is dealing with. This show is not about that. This show is more about the relationships between these characters, um, how it fits into a new narrative. And to do that, it takes a little bit of time, man. It's been six goddamn episodes since episode three. You could say even since episode one, but since episode three for sure, You've started getting answers, and that should be satisfying. It it keeps you wanting to go back for more, but it also gives you some answers and some perspective. So stop being cockasses and enjoy the ride because it'll be over soon, and then you'll have something else to bitch about. I don't remember anyone complaining about the Mandalorian being slow or not revealing its big bad by episode five or mm-hmm. any of that shit. Like there's yep. almost some kind of misogyny tinged in here, I think, with the lead yep. being Wanda, that that she has to prove her show more than 
you know, the Mandalorian. It doesn't make much sense to me. And this is also, I think people need to realize, Marvel's probably not going to make shows the way we're used to shows being made. They're making yeah. miniseries, movies, uh, and I think Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be much the same thing. I think Loki is going to be much the same thing. And yeah, people are cockasses. They need to chill. It's like, why are you so impatient? Why yeah. are you so impatient? Yeah. Why are you so I, impatient? Will, I will say specifically about that, that example, Mandalorian, though, that that wasn't one where they needed to unleash a big bad of some sort. It's a, such an episodic uh tv show that they didn't really need to have like oh there's this giancarlo esposito in the background you know or anything like that but i know it but the your point still holds though and that is you know it the mystery is often better than the answer right like the yeah. mm-hmm. the just just enjoy the ride and everything the answers a lot of times if you really like the show and how it's going about it, and once they reveal everything, then you can watch it with that knowledge the next time you want. And it's, it's going to be just as good to you. Yeah. You're not even yeah. going to remember that you were like, Oh my God, it took them so long and all that, because yeah, once you watch it again, you'll know. So uh, that's the way I feel about those type of things. A lot of times I, I, was, I, I thought about that while watching the latest season of Rick and Morty, when it came out, each episode has this pressure on it. And you can see the writers have the pressure on to try to make the best Rick and Morty they've ever made or the the most, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't, transcendental Rick and Morty that they can find or whatever. And, and about three or four episodes in, it gets tiresome. But then you realize you'll watch these and rerun someday. It's not even going to matter, all that pressure and all that. And, you know. <laughs> The, you'll just watch the episode as it is, and it's totally fine. So, um, well, this is this is a very cool experience. And I don't, Chris, have you made it through to the uh, to the current episode? I'm past point? episode six. Yeah, I'm waiting for seven, like everybody else. Um, I have prevented myself from getting too many spoilers so far in this season. I didn't know who the surprise guest was at the end of I think episode five, mm-hmm. um, and I and because of that. It caused me to say, whoa, hold on one second. And then I went back and I read a bunch of stuff. There's a lot of, there's very few uh, shows that make me want to seek out supplemental information. Uh, And this is one of them. Uh, I I have read some fan theories. I've read some very informed theories, especially around the House of M, uh, that make this potential big bad revelation make some sort of sense. And if so, it would be very, very cool. But if so, I will be glad to have waited until then Mm -hmm. to to figure that out. And you're absolutely right, Chris. I will enjoy going back through the show and being like, oh, now that I have this context, I really want to watch this thing again. Yeah. Uh, And if they do what a lot of people are suggesting they're going to do, uh, I can't wait to see how A, it plays out, and B, how it affects the rest of the face are we in phase four now i think we're in phase <laughs> <Fuck four. knows. laughs> yeah, i think i think the, i think this is supposed to get us into phase four as well i understood I this to be uh, but maybe this is phase four and i you know we we missed the bridge um uh but uh that's what i that's what i thought it was so mm-hmm. but man i'm having so much fun with this and i don't want my fun delayed i don't want to prematurely get the the villain exposed to me 
mm-hmm. I want that to be a nice like edging uh, technique that finally explodes with pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to talk to you briefly, briefly, because I've I've talked about this uh, online before and maybe on a podcast before, but your boycott is largely performative and worthless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and people like to scream, boycotts work, and they really don't. Bad publicity mm-hmm. works, but boycotts don't. Um, I remember two very prominent Christian-led boycotts of Disney in the 90s. One for the film The House of Yes, that was a Miramax film. That oh, had yeah. A, uh, That's a wild movie. Kiss. And then once when Disney decided to offer uh, extend benefits to same-sex partners of their employees at the parks. Um, Disney, last I checked, doing better than ever. Um, your your boycotts did nothing to stop them. Um, <clears throat> and uh, latest boycott is Publix because the heiress of Publix gave $300,000 to this capital insurrection. Mm. Uh, she's not an employee of Publix. She's an heiress. So again, this is like getting mad at... Hilton Hotels because Paris Hilton does something you don't like. Uh, and I, I made the mistake of including the hashtag when I tweeted. Yeah, uh, So I got a few people who were only looking at the tag who don't follow me who wanted to fight. And one person was like, well, where does she get her money? From Publix. And I'm like, this is, really, this is my real rant. <clears throat> you people suck at math. And you cannot <laughs> just draw a line wherever you want and say this is where the real money is, right? So if we blame Publix for how the heiress spends her money, then you have to blame me because I shop at Publix. And if you want to blame me, you have to blame YouTube because they give me my money. And if you want to blame YouTube, you have to blame Coca-Cola and all the Fortune 500 people that advertise on YouTube. And guess what? You can't shop anywhere now. So if you Mm -hmm. try and play follow the money from some bad deed with money, it's a it's a fool's game, and you're just wasting everyone's time, right? If you if you honestly want to shop at only places that agree with everything you agree with politically, you're fucked. You can't yeah. do it. And good luck dying. I, I wish you the best. <laughs> but if you want to be a practical person, then you must realize every day you do business with somebody who doesn't agree with you politically, and that's called humanity. And yeah. your boycott is largely worthless and performative. That's the end of my rant. Well, and you, when you boycott Publix, you're also boycotting all the employees that work there. Who, yep, you know that that you know, and and like, and again, even 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 then, like you said at the very top, your boycott is basically worthless anyway. So yes, and what, I what was are you even going told- to accomplish? Well, I was even told, well, aside from the camp uh, from the Capitol riot, Publix gave money to the governor of Florida. And so I went digging, and I found that Kroger gave $100,000 to Trump. And I was about to say, how is any store going to get unscathed in this? Exactly. So, And that was my last tweet. Walmart gave a half a million uh, to Trump. So I, do I just shop at the place that gave the least to the evil mm-hmm. people or mm-hmm. what? Yeah. I, you can't live your life this way. And, and honestly, especially in the age of social media, Anybody on social media who's telling you they're boycotting something is probably lying because there are an awful lot of people who said they were going to drop Netflix forever because of that cuties debacle. And guess what? Mm -hmm. Netflix is doing just fine. Um, So, you know, fuck you. Well, and the same thing goes for 
the th- same thing goes for sports too. Like, you know, like I'm never watching the NFL again because yeah. people were kneeling yeah. and like you hear these same people go, God damn it. The Falcons, man, pissing yep. me off. And they're like, well, why are you watching? You didn't like the kneeling. And then, exactly. uh, and there was a, there was somebody who always railed against the NBA. Like, I can't remember who it was like Ben Shapiro or somebody like that. And, uh, and like somebody went back and found like every, a tweet he'd ever made about the NBA and like all of them were like, I'm going to start watching the NBA because blah, 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 blah. I'm going to stop watching the NBA. Like there was like a hundreds of those. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that's obviously just for attention, but yeah, I remember the, the whole boycott Nike thing after they signed Kaepernick to that big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, is Nike hurting right now? No. No, they're not. No, you're, that's what I'm saying. It's all, it, right. You could take any company that was in the headlines of the last four years that, with the word boycott, whether it's the Goya beans or the fucking throw your Keurig out or whatever. All those companies are doing just fine because it's just performative outrage on social media. And it's yeah. a waste of time. You're absolutely right. It's a waste mm-hmm. of time. Who benefits from this? From you, you know, writing with that tweet or, or Instagram story or whatever and then arguing with the people that disagree with you. What is the point of all that? Is mm-hmm. it just, is this how we get our jollies off? Or is, is this just, you know. how we get our jollies off. We just point at people who are less moral than us. That's all we do anymore. We got we to gotta think about time as currency. And I don't want to go too far off in like Justin Timberlake in Timeland. But you got to think of time as currency. What's, what's worth more? Like a little bit of extra money uh for a tip for a new eats person or your time spent to go get that be in traffic Man, possibly have you it come are home preaching cold. my gospel right now baby time, there's like, nothing more important in your life than time agreed and I if will you pay can somebody. save time by not doing something superfluous now sometimes sometimes we all need times to to jerk off or sit on the couch or jerk mm-hmm. off on the couch mm-hmm. but like also, use your time wisely. Don't get into these bullshit art- arguments that don't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. I haven't done my own taxes in 15 years because to me, that time of not being aggravated is worth whatever it costs me to pay the guy who does my taxes. Mm-hmm. And I have, yeah. I have felt this way for 10, 15 years. Like, I, yeah. I just don't, yeah. I don't do things where spending that time drives me crazy. So I don't mow my own lawn. I'll mow my own lawn if I ever have to, but I don't have to. And that time, that two hours is better spent on me writing or doing something else. So I'll pay somebody to do that. And if, if mm-hmm. you're poor, don't think this is just for people who are doing well and financially. If you're poor, find out what is most important to you to complete yourself and then figure out how to pay for the rest of it. You can do this both if you're rich, middle class, poor, anything like that. Yeah, it's uh, your not, time it's not is really- still valuable. And I, I I hijacked it and made it about money, but your point was not even really about money at all. It was just that <clears throat> that your time is the most important thing that you have. Certainly more important than a piece of paper money that mm-hmm. will disappear. Um, and so, yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Do you have a rant mm-hmm. today, Chris? I do. Although and the last time I ranted about video games, somebody came on Facebook and is like, "Hmm, a rant about Red Dead Redemption, huh?" And gave me the 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 teeth. You know that teeth thing that like that emoji oh, whatever yeah. it is. Oh. You know, like, and I was just like, "Fuck you! This is our show." Blah blah blah. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna rant about any goddamn thing. Right, uh, I'm glad to hear it. And uh, and uh, but uh, this is this is another video game rant. 
I, uh, I got some, some games for, for, uh, for Christmas. And basically I'm not on the pulse of video games, like what are popular and all that. I just go to the, I go to Google or something like that and say, what are the best games for Nintendo switch right now? (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I start seeing some patterns and I'm like, okay, that one's been showing up a bunch. That one shows up a bunch. That one shows up a bunch. So I ended up getting about four. I got four games for Christmas and, uh, and, uh, one of them for the Nintendo switch I got was, is apparently like one of the big quarantine hits. It's animal crossing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All over the place. Yeah. Now I didn't know anything about animal crossing. All I saw was good reviews and all of that. And I have played it uh, fairly extensively for the last three weeks, probably somewhere around there. I don't know, maybe longer. Um, and uh, and and there are elements to it that I really can enjoy. You know, I like going around, running around this island, fishing, uh, you know, digging things up, planning things, all these other different things. But there is, and I'm not the first to talk about this, but there is a, a flaw in this game that is nearly fatal to how uh, you play it. Whenever you go in and you need to do anything, interact with another character. For instance, there's a museum that gets built and you can go and donate like fossils. You find animals, insects, all this stuff to the museum. You go in and you talk to this owl named blathers basically. And like the, Every interaction you have in that game is, Hey, how, what are you doing today? Blah, 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 blah. And you have to sit there and press buttons to get through this text. And it's like this. <laughs> and you hit the button. Blah, 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 blah. And then finally it gives you a menu where you have questions that you can ask. And then it's like, uh, assess fossils is one of them. And so the assess fossils, you go in through and the guy's like, and he's like, and then after he assesses them, he goes, well, if you want to make a donation, uh, uh, that'd be great. I'm here to give you the fucking fossils. Give Just let me go in and say, and like, can I have a button that says assess and donate? Because that's what I fucking want. I just want to go in, give them the, let him assess it. He can tell me about the fossils if he wants to. And then I donate it instead. After he assesses them, he's like, I hope you'll want to donate them. And then it goes back to the menu and it goes, okay, what do you want to do? And it's like, all right, I want to make a donation. And it's like, oh, Jesus. I'm so glad that you're making this donation, blah, 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 blah. And there's never a shorthand. It never ends. It's always the same interaction over and over and over again. And you go into stores and you want to sell stuff and the fucking raccoons that are in there that sell the stuff, they're always like, they was like, Oh, look at all these wonderful things that you brought in today. Let me, let me do some figuring. And he goes in this little thing where he's like figuring the amount that he's going to give you for all the stuff you're giving him and everything. And it's like, can I just go in and say, I want to sell the-? He doesn't deny anything. You can sell anything you want to in this game. So it's not, why can't I just go in and say sell and just hit all the buttons and go boom. And then they just give me money and I don't have to go all this and forwarding and forwarding through it so that I can get to the fucking menus that I need to get to. And then, and, and like every interaction has to have like two extra lines of dialogue that it doesn't fucking need. Just let me do my fucking shit and let me go. I don't have to sit here through fucking the same text over and over. Whenever you, 
uh, go out and fish and you catch something, they, the, it, there's this big animation where it's like, woohoo, I caught a dab. That's not bad. Or, you know, it's like, uh, or I caught, I caught a sea bass. It's at least a C plus, you know, blah, blah, blah. They say these stupid ass fucking punny jokes every single time. Like, can, and then if your, if your inventory is full, it just sit, it, it'll let you pick something up. And then it'll go, oh, I found this and it's great, but uh, my inventory is full and blah, blah, blah. Why can't you just say, no, you can't pick this fucking shit up because your inventory is full. Anyway, I hate the fucking dialogue in Animal Crossing. I hate, I wish it would die. I had this, (laughs) this game would be super fun if you could just get through, get through that shit without having to go through all that dialogue every single fucking time you do something. I've heard of a lot of people, um, especially when the pandemic started, using mm-hmm. this uh, this game to calm down, mm-hmm. calm their anxiety. It sounds mm-hmm. like it worked the exact opposite way on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because every time you go in, you're sitting there like, "Can is there a fast forward through this, please? <laughs> All I want to do is the thing and then leave. I don't need a fucking story. I I hear you, man. That sounds uh, that sounds very infuriating. There's different Ugh. versions. They they update this game, so you know you know they they've had complaints about this. Yep. How in the world can they not come up with a version where you just go up and this? Hey, we have a new feature today. You can you can fast forward through all of our bullshit, and I'll be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> What were the other games that you got, by the way, just out of curiosity? Uh, I got Streets of Rage 4. I played that first. Uh, I played the original Streets of Rage that was on the Genesis. Oh, Uh, wow. Nice. mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Streets of Rage 4. Played that quite a bit uh, for for a while to the point my my thumbs lost their skin, basically, and and everything. Um, And then I played uh, Luigi's Mansion 3. Nice. Uh, I had nice. not played the other Luigi's Mansions, but I really enjoyed that game. Luigi's Mansion 3 was really fun. And now I'm on this. There's another game that I have gotten that I haven't played yet, and it's the uh, something, the Cadence of Hyrule is what it's called. Oh, is Zelda it's game? A, it's a, it's, I think it's based on Zelda, but it's not a Zelda game. Interesting. And I don't I haven't I haven't gotten into the 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 gameplay yet, so I don't know exactly how it goes. And also for my birthday I got a couple more that are waiting in the wings. So nice. Like, one's like Hollow Knight and another one is uh what was the other one? I don't remember what the other one was called, but I have I have a few waiting in the wings. I don't know when I will quit Animal Crossing because it's kind of a it's almost a Sim City kind of game yeah, uh, overall. Right, yeah. I don't know where it ends because you can mm. keep adding stuff to your house and you can, and you can like decorate it and you can, and more people come over to the Island and all that. So I don't know what, where the ending is for that game. If there is even an ending. Um, hmm. So there may be a point where I'm just like, okay, I'm tired of this. I'm going to start playing another game. So hmm. nice. Um, nice. All right. Well, I'm sure this message, this rant will get to the creators of animal crossing and they'll be like, mm-hmm. you know what? You know what? We he's right. He's mm-hmm. right. We should have been doing this the whole time. And oh you may have God. changed the world, my friend. I may have. I may have. Um No, it's not that hard. You've played you've played games. There's you've played games before where you can just go and do a thing and then leave. It doesn't make you sit through fucking 
you know, Goodfellas to get to the end of it. So. <laughs> um, are we ready for some recommends and warns? Recommends and warns. Totes amaze balls. There right. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. I'll go first. Since you asked, nobody asked. Um, mm-hmm. I watched a movie uh, yesterday, no, two days ago, called Liberal Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, this is your classic Jeremy scrolling through the movie channels, sees a recent film with people in it that he likes that he's never heard of or seen. So this is, uh, is it Josh Radner? Is that the name yep. of the guy from How I Met Your Mother? Yeah. Uh, so he wrote, directed, and stars in this film. Um, and it's very... Uh, who's the Scrubs guy that made movies? Zach Braff. It's very Zach Braffy. <laughs> the, these yeah. two guys make the same kind of movies. Um, Elizabeth Olsen is in this. And um, <clears throat> fuck my ass. All right. uh, I don't want to fuck up another name, but I don't. It's Richard somebody. Richard. Gear. <laughs> he's, in, uh, he's in Cabin in the Woods with Bradley Whitford. Oh, Jenkins? Jenkins. Richard Jenkins is in this. So basically, uh, Radner is this guy who's about 30, and he's dissatisfied with his life. And um, Jenkins is the old retiring professor from the college where Radner went to school. And he goes back to the college for this guy's retirement ceremony and meets Elizabeth Olsen, who is a sophomore student at the college. And the rest of the movie is him and Elizabeth Olsen trying to think about having a relationship, but getting cold feet. And Mm. she eventually asks him to fuck her and he says no. And she gets mad that he wouldn't fuck her. And then by the end, everyone realizes he did the right thing by not fucking her, and they're still friends, mm-hmm. and they write letters to each other. I do not understand why people make movies like this about a 30-year-old <laughs> who contemplates fucking an 18-year-old and then decides not to and ends up happy. Why? What is the point <laughs> of this fucking movie? Are, does every 30-year-old out there who's single actually fantasize about having a relationship with a college sophomore? I feel like I've seen <laughs> this movie eight different times under different names, and it like there's actually a movie with uh, Rooney Mara in it uh, called Tanner Hall, and it's got uh, that thing you do uh, in it. Um, <laughs> God, <laughs> I haven't even smoked any weed. Tom Everett Scott. <laughs> Tom Everett Scott, and he kisses her, and, and he's married, and a thirty year old, and she's a college, she's a high school student, I think, and he like flirts, thinks about having a relationship with her, and then realizes in the end, no, that's not right, and everybody's happy, and I don't understand these fucking movies, like. This is not a journey I can relate to. And it feels like there must be a lot more people who can relate to it out there. Or else why would you make this movie? And mm, yeah. I just don't understand it. There's, it, uh, it just, it's trying to be slice of lifey and it, it, it didn't do it for me. Uh, is it very it clear be. that he's 30 and she's 18, 19? Uh, abundantly clear. Yes. Abundantly so he's like clear. a professional or he's like in the yes. workplace and, yes. and things like that. He lives in New York. He actually just keeps driving back to Pennsylvania or wherever the fuck. It doesn't tell you where the school is just to see her and have is coffee the, and flirt. Is the and romance I, portrayed as creepy or justified? Like, why? what is the reason that they cannot be together? Is that the age difference? Yes. And, lo- and that she's too young to know what she really wants. Oh, I see. Yeah, because isn't there, isn't there some line in there where he, 
where she says something about liking Twilight or something like that. Isn't there yes. a big thing about Twilight in there? <laughs> they do discuss and, Twilight, yes. Yeah, and 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 he says something about how trash it is, and she tells him the sort of the hidden genius of it, or maybe not the hit. I don't remember. I just remember there being a Twilight conversation. Well, and in she this. does and the whole a disagreement. age ain't nothing but a number spiel, but there is one great line that I liked. Uh, where he's explaining to her why he can't sleep with her and, and explaining that he feels guilt. And she says, we haven't done anything yet. And he says, yeah, I know guilt before you act is called morality. And I thought, wow, that's a really good line. Um, mm-hmm. But that's it. That's all I took away from that movie that I enjoyed. <laughs> um, it, it, it's just, it, do, it, it doesn't go hard enough in any of its, like it tries to have Richard Jenkins try and commit suicide because he doesn't actually want to retire. And then Josh Radner saves him. And there's like a student on campus who Josh Radner sees himself in and they have conversations that are weird. I don't understand this movie. I don't understand why this movie was made or who it was made for. I cannot relate to any of these characters. No, I I think I understand now. You don't, you don't think it didn't state a position, right? It didn't say like a narrative position, right? It didn't say I'm going to commit to doing this or I'm going to commit to doing that. It was just right. like... And nothing really happens. They flirt for a little while. He goes about his business and off they go. I understand that. I understand that. Had they had the relationship flourish between a 30-year-old and a 19-year-old or something like that? I don't know if that's out of line. I'm not saying it's out of line. I mean, I'm not saying it's out of line. The movie is. I see. I see what you're saying. And 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 thereby it abides by its own principles, and the, uh, yeah, or and this the, guy uh, abides by its own principles. Yeah, I just don't. I, again, I don't know who this movie was made for or what yeah. it's trying to say. Except that sometimes when you feel like fucking a teenager, don't, and you'll meet a pretty <laughs> bookish lady at the bookstore by the end of the film. I mean, I'm warning you. This is not a record warn. This is a warn, but. I'm not saying the movie is poor quality. The acting is good. The writing is, the dialogue is snippy, snappy, whatever it's supposed to be. I just, I didn't like it. I didn't like the experience and I felt bad when I was done. Like I had just, like, like the movie made me root for them only to realize that I was an asshole for rooting for them because their <laughs> age up. difference was so, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. there you go. That's yeah. my warn yeah. for today. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Talk about a waste um, of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a, a bunch of people out there, a bunch of writers out there who have like, man, I had a chance with that 18 year old girl when I was 30 and I just didn't go through with it. Now I'm going to write something about that. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not unlike beautiful girls where, you know, oh, yeah. he's like, he doesn't ever flirt with Natalie Portman, but it's very clear that he wishes he could. Yeah, and, and then yeah. at the end of the movie, he realizes, no, that would have been bad. I'll go back to my uh, girlfriend of five years, and that'll make me happy. <laughs> I just don't understand. Awesome. It. Yeah, the the the, the uh, there's that scene where it really puts it in perspective in Beautiful Girls, where Timothy Hutton is telling Noah Emmerich, uh, "I'm <laughs> telling you, this girl's going to be amazing when she grows up and everything." And Noah Emmerich's like, "The girl was a zygote when you were in sixth grade." <laughs> <laughs> that movie has a lot of great lines in it but yeah that's a perfect line thank god man this just came up when we were doing family of the opera 
the the film version, the Schumacher version. It's it's supposed to be so chaste and virginal when Emmy Rossum is like, we used to be childhood sweethearts with Patrick Wilson. But like, he's 13 years older than her in real life. But like, you can see the age difference. He's already like a V-Compt or something like that in Paris. Mm -hmm. He would be in his early 20s and she would be seven. Yeah. (laughs) Became childhood sweethearts. Mm -hmm. And fuck you for even putting that image in my head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. Um, I'm going to recommend this. um, I'm trying to remember if this is on net. Is it on Amazon Prime? The uh, Derek Del Guadio's in of of itself. It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this movie is on Hulu. It's Derek Del Guadio's in and of itself. He is a, uh, he's a magician, but it's sort of a, this show is a sort of a storytelling, um, uh, kind of, uh, magic show. Magic is sort of, a maybe 35% of it, maybe 40% of it. It's, it's kind of like that. Uh, and uh, this guy uh, opens up uh, by telling the audience about a story about a guy who was down on his luck and he didn't care anymore. So he started entering Russian roulette competitions and he was he he uh, apparently that, you know, nobody, uh, you know, you, he he went in, he 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 took the shot and he survived and he went on. He got a lot of money out of that. But apparently this guy kept wanting to go, which is something that nobody ever does or whatever. So he tells the story about the Russian roulette, tells about the guy who survived and everything like that. You will notice that he has uh, six windows behind him that sort of represent chambers of a gun, I think, in in some way. Um, But it has uh, it has a different image in each one. So he has a different thing he's going to do with each one of these. Uh, but he tells this story, but then it goes into other things and he starts doing some of these magic tricks while he's talking and everything. And there are some in there that I, I, you know, I'm supposing he does some John Edwards type of stuff in this where he sort of pre-interviews people or he has people out on the sidewalk talking to, and they get like certain details and they make sure that these people get picked and, uh, a lot of this type of thing. But like, he brings out all these letters and uh, you know, he, everybody's picked uh, like a, a, who they are. There's like a little card that they pick at the beginning of the show and it's, they're supposed to pick whatever's closest to them. And then they put it all in a stack and put it on the table. Um, And so like every show he's like, okay, who's my, you know, there's all sorts of different kinds of occupations and like emotions. a reflection. Yeah. 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 And things like and, that. Yeah. And he's like, who's one of the, who's that or whatever. And so that person will come up and he's like, um, uh, I know that there's someone very special to you who, uh, you know, he's, he gives them a letter. It's like, this has been mailed here. Uh, and, uh, and so everybody who opens up this letter gets a letter from somebody they weren't, they, that's actually, to them very like like you know it, it like how in the world did they pick this person you know and everything and they oh. it's usually telling them how they're proud of them and all this other stuff now when i was hearing that i was like okay they probably wrote a pretty generic letter and then they started adding these little small things in there that made it seem like oh it really is this person but as you watch these people read the letters you just see the 
emotions that come out of them as they read it. And that's the part, that's the story that you want to, you know, sort of focus on here. Not really so much how he did it, which is, I think is, you know, it's probably something pretty simple, but <laughs> just the, how these people, how these people react to it. And he does that. He then later on, he goes in and he starts picking what everybody had out of their, out of their cards. And like, like these people have just p- taken a card and they put it in a stack and all he does is go over and say, you're an entrepreneur and <laughs> you're this. And, and it's like, you're like, holy shit, how is he doing this? But there's all sorts of other little magic tricks he does in there where you're just like jaw dropping. Uh, like, how the fuck do you do this kind of thing? It's a very unusual show. It's one that just puts you, I'm not saying this to be punny, but it puts you under a spell. You're sitting there watching that and you're just, just transfixed during the whole time. Hmm. Um, as he tells stories about his own life and how he learned how he did some of the things he did, card tricks, how to be, how to become a card mechanic. Uh, that different- part was really, really interesting. Just seeing the practicalities of that, not even any true sleight of hand. It gets to the sleight of hand in a little bit, but oh he'll God. show you like how he learned how to shuffle these in all kinds of different ways, the grips that he uses and all that. It's that part is maybe the most fascinating part of this whole thing. There's a point where he shows he has, he like, he keeps, he's, he's, he's obviously he's dealing the things that he wants to deal out. And to show you how good this trick is, he actually flips the top card over and then he sits, starts doing the deal and it looks like it's coming straight off the top of the deck, (laughs) but the cards are underneath and he's, he's making it look like it's coming off the top. And this like King of spades is just sitting there the whole time. Not even Mm. looking down. And and that's part of the story where he was like, he went out to like a, like a big high roller or a big magician type of guy. And he was like, man, I've been practicing my deal. I know how to do this. And so he's looking down and he's making sure everything is good. And the guy points a gun at him. And he's like, what's the deal here? And he was like, you'd be shot for that because you're not, <laughs> you're, it's obvious that you're doing something there. Uh, you can't look down. And so everything he does is with his eyes up. And it's just, it's muscle memory that's really cool to watch in action. Huh. So, yeah, there's, I mean, so watch it for some incredible magic tricks. Watch it for some great emotional revelations in the audience. There's a lot of celebrities in that audience. Um, I didn't know that. I only remember seeing Bill Gates, but apparently there's like Kristen Wiig is in there and Mm -hmm. like a whole bunch of people after I later when I looked at it and I, there's a possibility I looked straight at some of these celebrities and didn't know that they were celebrities at the time because they just blend into that, that crowd or they've cut it so that those people don't show up. But um, but there's a point where he, where he's going through and he's telling everybody who they are and everything is like, he goes, and you're a leader. And then he's suddenly Bill Gates is sitting down. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I was like, is that Bill Gates? Is that somebody that looks like Bill Gates? No, it's Bill Gates. <laughs> well, this is like, a- the, the one guy says, this is my brother. And I'm like, Oh, is that his brother? No, it's David Blaine. Another yeah. magician. <laughs> yeah. Is this yeah. a show or a movie? It's a movie. It's, it's a, a movie of a show. Performance that, art thing, basically. But yeah, it's, a it's, two, a movie it's like a two-hour thing. It's not like a series. It's an hour and a half. Okay. It's an hour and a half. It was a show that he did in some theater in New York. Um, 
And I guess it was like, what, 500 uh, times he did it. Uh, Frank Oz is the credited director of the show. God, that guy's had such a career, man. Right? Yeah, he has. He has. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this is this is uh, extremely well worth watching. Um, uh, it, it's something that will that will get you in, into. A, I think it's a good mood. It's emotional. It's uh, it's it's got a lot of unbelievable things in it. That you're just sitting there like, oh my God, I can't believe how I just saw, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at it and I can't see how he's doing this at all, you know? So, um, uh, so yeah, uh, in and of itself, uh, awesome. give it a, give it a watch. I tell you what, that Penn and Teller fool me show has ruined me for magic. I know, I know, <laughs> in terms I know. Of, like being, in terms <laughs> of being awed by a trick, right? Because now I, I know, I know it's all a trick. Right. And John Edwards is a dick because he's out there saying this is real, but mm-hmm. you know, magicians aren't telling you it's real. They're just not telling you the secret. They just want you to be amazed. Right. Like when the, in the prestige, when he says, if people thought the things we did on stage were real, they'd be horrified. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm constantly looking for the method so fast now that I'm, I rarely have the time or take the time to be impressed by the trick. I really want to watch this. I think I'm going to watch it with my wife. Um, and uh, and I will hope to turn that part of my brain off, but uh, that that Penn and Teller show is ruined magic. Well, you, I think you'll be able to because, as Chris said, it's not really about the magic. The magic right. is is a way by which he tells his stories. Right, right. Um, and it fact, builds I've, up I've read some that tension. He's more of a storyteller. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one part I didn't love about this uh, this show is that it is emotional. Uh, and certainly the Confederates that come out, or maybe they're not Confederates, but the audience members that come up, and especially the letter scenes, mm-hmm. are very emotional. But there's a there, there's a necessary level of artifice in the dude's uh, performance that I mm-hmm. think he's developed as a magician or a mentalist over time. That. I, I'm not buying every single thing. I know what you're does. talking about, where he he stares forlornly at the wall, and you know all these little things that he does, where it's like, <laughs> and he's like surprised by some of them. He's like, "Oh, yeah, what yeah, is this?" Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there are there are moments in there that are phony, but uh, a small amount. Of yeah, them, and so. and it's it's not really necessarily it's a show about him but it's not really about him it's about all these other people uh that he's run into call him the rulatista mm-hmm. uh, yeah he still don't really ever get the the answer of why he's the rulatista no i mean there was a, a sort of tossed off uh explanation somewhere in the middle of all that but like it wasn't a satisfactory one and yeah, and the one that yeah. he and he mentions that he he was told this by some the you know, the 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 story of uh, the the rulatista the uh, he's uh he's uh, what is he relaying this to a sailor in a bar or something like that or or an old man in a bar or something like that no, and he's, the old man, yeah the old man is is telling him the story old man is telling guy. him yeah, the story yeah, yeah. and at the end old man tells him he's the rulatista and he didn't know why he, he was that or whatever. And I think they're trying, there, there's a, there's a very small explanation. He kind of skates over in the two thirds of the way of the, of the show. 
and you're like, but you made this sound like this was something that was a part of your life that just really changed the way you saw yourself and everything. You can't just toss off an explanation like that. You know, uh, a lot of people having fun with toss off there. I know I am. <laughs> no, Jeremy, I think you and your wife uh, would get a kick out of this. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, definitely on the list. <clears throat> And try to spot all the famous people. I think Kate McKinnon's in the audience at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kumal Bell is in there at one point. Yep. It's uh oh, it's a uh, uh, fashionista guy, fashion fashion boy, Gun Jim. Oh Gunn, yeah, yeah, Peter yeah. Gun, Tim, Jimmy Tim Gunn, Tim, Tim Gun, Top Gun, Tim Gun. All right, everybody, it's time to talk about Better Help. Yeah, Better Help, baby. You know how uh, I was thinking about this after my last appointment. I felt good. I felt good afterwards. Uh, we didn't really cover any, break any new ground. Uh, but we, but I was reminded of a lot of techniques that I've used in the past that have been successful to me. Um, stuff that is easy to forget. Like, oh, you need to breathe uh, for this amount of time every day. You need to exercise for this amount of time every day. You need to see your family for this amount of time every day. Sounds very intuitive, right? Uh, but I, I needed a checkup. I needed a little tune-up. And I was thinking about, like, you know, the times that you go to the dentist to get your uh, teeth cleaned. Nothing, you know, surgical or anything like that. Some people go to chiropractors. Uh, some people go to physical therapy to get themselves worked on. And uh, you go to the tune-up for your car. And I was like, I, sometimes you need those therapeutic experiences to tune up what you already know and to remind you of that stuff. And that's the beauty of counseling in general and BetterHelp in particular is that we're all human. We're all going to forget to do stuff. We don't always take the best care of ourselves. Sometimes we'd rather sit on the TV, sit on, <laughs> sometimes we'd rather sit on the couch and watch TV than it would to, to read a book or to breathe or to exercise. And, BetterHelp is there to remind you of, here's the things that we talked about. Here's what's worked. Go do those again and let me know if they're still working. If not, we can try something else. And man, do I need that. I, and the fact that it's in my home right now, and especially we're in an icebox right now in Nashville, as is much of the country, it's hard to get places. I can do a BetterHelp session or communicate with my counselor, licensed professional counselor, right this second if I wanted to. And that's the beauty of BetterHelp. I love it. Yeah, I think I was telling my wife yesterday, who ever thought we'd have so many reasons to not go anywhere? Um, you know, with a pandemic. <laughs> it's like the universe is conspiring. <laughs> and then an ice storm. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess we'll just stay here, doubly so. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about briefly uh, is uh, expectations when you go into therapy. Uh, because you're not, not every session is going to end with this whammy reveal where the rest of the day you're walking around going, how did I never realize this? Those kind of moments happen. Um, but, uh, they happen intermittently and there are plenty of sessions in between where if you analyze the actual session, you're like, well, I'm not sure what exactly I learned today, but I always feel better when I'm done. Always. And that is the power of a professional therapist uh, because, you know, you can talk to your wife, you can talk to your friends, you can talk to your freaking dog. But uh, therapists have been trained professionally on how to pick up what you're really saying through what you're saying and how to pick apart the pieces that matter most to your core and uh, and help you work towards bettering yourself. And, you know, some sessions um, 
will feel like work, some will feel like fun, and some will be euphoric, and some will be difficult. But I always feel better, always, when I'm yeah, done. You always do. And it, you talk about being able to pick that stuff out. What I do is the text option, uh, uh, like a, a text chat with my uh, counselor every week. And that's for my privacy. That's so I don't disturb other people in my household that are doing stuff. And my counselor can pick out uh, from all those ramblings what the real issue that I'm trying to get at is uh, because I write a lot. Uh, and she's great. Uh, the service has been great. Go to betterhelp.com slash syncast. Get 10% off your first month. Use that month wisely. We believe in this product. Trust me, you've heard us talk about it before. Go to betterhelp.com slash syncast. Get started now. Do it. Well, I have a recommendation, and Ooh. this is one of the most embarrassing re- recommendations I think I've ever had. Uh, and the reason is that we all know if you get into a perfect position in a perfect mood with the perfect people, you will enjoy something that you might not otherwise enjoy. All right. So last night, the family and I got together and the kid, the kid's a big Kevin Hart fan. Mm. That's okay. And so and so, I, I was this close, mind you, to watching Get Hard. Mm. Now that would have been very dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, because first of all, it's rated R, so it's a little outside of his range right now. And second of all, I think that uh, has been on record as sucking hard. Uh, it's also, mm-hmm. it's also pretty offensive. That's like, what I hear. That's homophobic. What I hear. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that's why we didn't pull the trigger on that one. So. Gavin Hart movie that we haven't seen yet, Night School, ah. featuring Tiffany Haddish and a bunch of people, a bunch of people uh, that are a little better than you may think. Okay, Did you say you're this- recommending this movie? Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. good. It's not yeah. good. Okay. <laughs> this is on par with maybe this Vacation, fight? maybe... The house, okay. maybe like okay. this is not a good movie. I heard, I'll your, be I heard your preface where you said if you're with the right group of people at the right time. I heard. I just wanted to make sure I, uh, you were recommending. And, and then we, we absolutely, we absolutely loved the experience of watching this movie. Uh, Kevin Hart. It's so stupid. God damn, Kevin Hart is like a mid level employee salesman, but he's really, really good at it. And but he's never finished his high school diploma. And so in order to get a new job with even more money, uh, he has to go to night school, who is taught by uh, Tiffany Haddish. Now, Tiffany Haddish is not in her girl's trip mode. She's not in her regular stand-up comedian uh, mode. She's got a little textured performance here, uh, Mm -hmm. which I was not expecting because I don't think I've ever seen Tiffany Haddish not on. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, especially as activated as she was in Girls Trip. Uh, so she's really good. Kevin Hart is loud and annoying, but I think he's just leaned into that, and uh, and and that's going to go how it's going to go. The best part about this movie is the supporting cast. So his night school chums uh, are played by Rob Riggle, uh, Mary Lynn Ratchkub, 
and uh, <laughs> Fat Joe, <laughs> and who's not as bad as you think, Romany Malco from Forty uh, Year Old Virgin, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, my favorite out of this whole thing is Al Madrigal. If you remember oh, him from yeah. the uh, Daily Show, mm-hmm. uh, he plays this waiter that Kevin Hart inadvertently got fired, and he's hilarious. Mary uh, Mary Elizabeth uh, is uh, Mary Lynn Rochkob, uh is actually a comedian. Uh, we forget that because of all of her years on Chloe uh, as Chloe on 24. <laughs> Chloe. Can you imagine She's that so many years Chloe. on Chloe? It's Chloe. She's got a gun and a pewter. Right uh, after Joey. <laughs> right after Joey. <laughs> uh, but they all work really well together. Rob Riggle is not his typical manic uh, dude. And it's charming. It, the whole thing is charming. And I would recommend it for anybody that's looking for like, man, I just need to laugh a little bit right now. Uh, I need to, I always hesitate to say, turn your brain off, but uh, just enjoy some light entertainment. And I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, the, the other two people, uh, especially if you're middle ditch and Schwartz fans, uh, Ben Schwartz plays his best friend. Uh, and he's brilliant as always. And Taron Killiam plays his old uh, Kevin Hart's old high school rival, and he's charming. He's got a lot more like texture to him than you would expect uh, to see too. So, is this going to blow your socks off? No, but it was charming, and I liked it, and I'll probably watch it again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's my recommendation. I've got a Blu-ray somewhere. I'll have to watch at some point. I'll tell you what it was uh, nice to see. Romany Michael, uh, <laughs> Romany Malco, uh, who I know has been in other stuff since 40-Year-Old Virgin. I just haven't really seen him very often. And he mm-hmm. is hilarious. His delivery mm-hmm. is so good. And the way that he – you can tell he's one of those actors. And I think comedians are uniquely good at this. He's one of those actors that listens. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I The – one example is when I watched Destination Wedding with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, and you could tell they were just waiting for their turn to talk and <laughs> uh, reading the, the the dialogue. Yeah, You can tell with comic actors in particular, and even with Middleditch and Schwartz and you know, the extreme, they really listen to each other so that they can have that spur-of-the-moment reaction that breeds more comedy than just the dialogue itself. Mm-hmm. And Romany Malco, I think, has that ability. Uh, yeah. So I appreciate seeing that stuff. All right, let's do this. Questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. I have recently been watching the Rocky series of movies again. God bless you. As it's been a long <laughs> time since uh, I last saw them all the way through. I forgot how brilliant the first one is and had forgotten that it won, won three Oscars. Did it mm-hmm. indeed? Each subsequent sequel dips in quality, of course. So my question is this. What film series with a solid first movie gets unnecessarily forgotten or has been tainted by its lackluster sequels and or reboots? Love this question. And I also love that lackluster is spelled R-E at the end. Yeah, which means, it means we have somebody from the from the British lands. You, who, yes. you smell like you're from London. <laughs> That's right. Um, now, this question is so specific that there are very few series that actually do this to the letter. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to 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 you know, like 
to wash Rocky out of people's heads, you had to do something serious, right? Like you had to, <laughs> yeah, you did some serious damage with those sequels. Um, but, uh, the one that came to mind for me was Halloween, the original Halloween. Yeah. Uh, because after, after that, you know, Carpenter makes a straight up sequel. It's the same night or the next morning or whatever for Halloween two. And it's not nearly as good. And then Halloween three, they tried to go into a different direction with the series that they were going to try to make a different kind of Halloween uh, movie without Michael Myers and all this. And then, you know, four, five, six and resurrection and H2O and Josh Hartnett and bullshit and, you know, <laughs> and Busta sort of, Rhymes. Yeah, and Busta Rhymes and you know, H2O found footage. Um, the, the, uh, then the, the Rob Zombie reboots and then the, the, the other reboot that came out a few years ago that's like, well, none of those other Halloweens except the first one exist. Um, so, it, it get it's hard if you if you go through all those halloween movies you'll forget how brilliant the first one is yeah um first one is is just brilliant based on just a lot of just very simple things that nobody i don't think has the balls to do anymore with horror movies a lot of times because it's it's just it, it's it it sets you know it's it's methodical about how it's setting everything up it uses the frame in a certain way now everything is like we got to make sure we have a jump scare within 10 seconds you know so uh i think halloween is is something that fits under that although very few people actually just forget about the original halloween like i think a lot of people just end up going well that first one's good and that's what it what it comes down to with rocky while those you know those you have the degradation and quality that goes down over the years it's not enough to be like i like this it's not i think the only real terrible one is like rocky five yeah yeah and all the ones in between are like they're basically good they're not the first one but you know so they don't totally agree i i love Mm -hmm. all of them absolutely objectively the first one is the best and most enjoyable uh, but I love me some two and three and Clubber Lang and yeah. But in the case of Rocky, those movies became different kinds of movies. Yeah. Yep. So then it's easy to forget that the first Rocky is a very seventies, you know, film, yep. very seventies film. Um, but anyway, that's a good call. That's a good yeah. call. I, uh, I'm going to do two. I'll try and go fast. Um, but, uh, I want to <laughs> go fast. <laughs> uh, the Fast and the Furious is the Comcast of movie franchises, uh, which mm-hmm. is also, you know, Comcast owns Universal. So Indeed. Uh, a double mm-hmm. entendre there. But Comcast used to just sell me cable TV. And then when the Internet exploded, they're like, oh, we got to pivot and get some of that market. And today, Comcast sells home phone service, uh, home security systems, Internet and cable TV. The Fast and Furious is like this. They started out as a humble, attractive cast, car, car racing heist movie. And it's just over time pivoted so many times that it's, it's James Bond superheroes now. And I can't remember the last time they just had a good old-fashioned car race in one of these movies between two characters that were both cocky. Um, <laughs> the Fast and Furious, the first one, is... It's not great. It's no Rocky. I'm not making that comparison. 
But if if you take it for what it is and you forget what the series became, that's a charming little film. Um, the other one I wanted to mention is Meet the Parents. Um, mm. I feel like Ben Stiller has a problem with unnecessary sequels between this trilogy, The Night at the Museum, the Madagascar movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Zoolander. <clears throat> Zoolander. Uh, but the first Meet the Parents is pretty charming. Um, is. If you watch it now, it, there's very few moments of cringe. Uh, De Niro is playing great off of his, you know, usual tough guy persona. Um, there's plenty of laughs. Um, and then they had to go and like bring in Dustin Hoffman and Bette Mid- Was it Bette Midler? No, it's uh, the other one. Barbra Streisand. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> Six of one, half dozen of the other. <laughs> you know, um, usually there's a package deal. Bette Midler and Barbara Streisand. Get one or the other. <laughs> same thing. Same thing. Um, but again, you know, the, 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 then they did meet the fuckers with the little kids. And it just mm-hmm. it gets less funny. You know, comedies should almost never have sequels. The Hangovers did this too. Um, but uh, the first meet the parents is, is fine. It's charming. You can watch it again and you laugh. And they just ruined it by stomping it into the ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there you go there's my two answers i, I like yeah. it one thing i was thinking about because you're right chris this is a very specific um question i had originally put jaws on my list but nobody forgets about jaws because of mm-hmm. the subsequent sequels everybody knows that jaws is jaws yeah but it's very specific with with rocky uh, i've got my true answer but i just thought about the view skewiverse or skewverse oh. uh when you think about how minimalist clerks was by by nature uh and even though they had a bigger budget mall rats even though it ain't a perfect movie uh you know it it is contained in one location it doesn't really have you know this breadth or anything like that and then you get chasing amy and then we love jay and silent bob strike back and everything uh we don't like jersey girl although that i don't think that's in the view askew verse um and uh i do not like jay and silent bob reboot but i think some of that that world building and dogma is in there too even though i kind of like dogma is dissipating uh the clout that clerks had initially um because when you look at kevin smith now he's more known as podcaster he's known as you know, a filmmaker that does whatever he wants to, a Twitter presence, an influencer. You don't think about him as the seminal director behind Clerks, whereas you think of Quentin Tarantino as director Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. So so I, it's just one thing that popped into mind. But I think the other perfect example of this also has to be a Stallone vehicle uh, because you ain't oh. never seen anything more polar opposite from First Blood, mm-hmm. yeah. which is not even named Rambo First Blood. It's called First Blood to Rambo First Blood Part 2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly not Rambo 3, where he really got juiced up mm-hmm. uh, and slicked up and oiled up. Uh, and then Rambo 4. There was a Rambo 4, right? Yeah, there was a yeah. a, a John Rambo. like He did just like he did with... Uh, the Rocky franchise where he was, it was like 15 to 20 years later. There's you know, one in the middle Rocky though Malmo. too, right? Isn't uh, no, no, no. I, I think it went it. from three to, whereas Rocky went from, you know, one, two, three up to five and then did Rocky Balboa. 
I think Rambo went to three, and then and they then, did Rambo, right? I yes. Don't, I don't know what we're interrupting about. I just uh, what I'm what I'm what I'm saying is is that that Rambo did the same thing as Rocky Balboa did. No, you're right. You're absolutely yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I just I, meant I, there I was another. I don't understand what your point is here. Is all I'm there saying. Was, well, I just all I'm saying is there's five of them, and it sounded like we were saying there was four of them. That's all. I was getting to the point that there wasn't a Rambo four, but there was a Rambo that came out later on. I was and you're right. It's 20 that. years later. You're absolutely trying right. to get to that point. Um, there was the one that was in the mid aughts that came out and then he came out with that other Rambo that was like two years ago or whatever, that, where he's old super R rated home alone. version. Yeah. What was right. that one called? Last blood. Last no. blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but listen, you can objectively say, now listen, I've I've watched Rambo 2 many, many times. First Blood Part 2. Uh, and I've enjoyed it. Uh, this is the one that's really parodied hard in Hot Shots Part 2. Mm. Um, I have seen Rambo 3. Don't remember anything about it except for buttered up arms. Uh, mm-hmm. never, I haven't even seen, uh, the, the Rambo, uh, ones that came out in the, the mid aughts and I haven't seen last blood, but I, 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 I haven't heard anything fantastic about them. And even so those movies, especially the, the two through three are so coked up, steroided up eighties, affied versions of a character that has no business being in those mm-hmm. that I think it's very, very much like Rocky. And you can, I mean, this is sliced career arc yeah. is going from, you know, a, a, a screenwriter and all tour almost to this action star uh, that barely resembles anything that he did before. First blood is a minimalist, beautiful survival pick uh, that you can watch anytime, any day. Uh, it's not really gratuitous. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty much the story of uh, uh, the traumatized Vietnam war vet and yeah. has some beautiful acting between Richard Crenna and Sly Stallone at the end of that movie that has been parody for sure, but it's also incredibly uh, 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 textural. I think it, he, you, you really sense the emotions there. The, it wasn't my war. Nothing mm-hmm. is over. Uh, yeah. that'll give you real chills. And so mm-hmm. I think, uh, Rambo goes right to the heart of this question. Man, the first time I saw first blood, I was, I was shocked just because, <laughs> you know, Rambo has this persona, right? I was not allowed to watch first blood growing up. I probably was too young anyway to even, know about it but when the sequels came out that's all i thought rambo was buttered up arms and Mm -hmm. a vest made of bullets and um and then yeah you go back and watch that first one which i was way late to uh, and it's not not only is it not the same kind of movie at all it's fan-fucking-tastic it's so good it's so good good call yeah Yeah, this is something that's also unique to stallone too but i mean that you're what you're getting at about rocky and, and rambo because very few action stars started off in the seventies like he did where movies were still being made a certain way. And it was like pre star Wars and everything like that. And then 
the first blood is an eighties movie, but it's, it's still on the fringe of the seventies. Oh, for sure. So they're still sort of making movies that have some thoughtful uh, way of, uh, you know, constructing their story and everything. They're not ready to go into this full on action and everything like the eighties became that cocaine blitz, you know, somewhere in the middle eighties. And, and, uh, especially with these, like the, the Vanya Kassar, uh, a yeah. team that that did all these Rambo movies later on um uh, so you, you see these thoughtful like Rocky and First Blood and then as the it gets into the cocaine 80s it starts becoming the completely different uh things and it, I don't know of any other stars that could really uh say that Schwarzenegger became big in the 80s so everything he did was uh, in that cocaine fueled, you know, whatever. And it's another mm-hmm. Vanya Kassar thing. Terminator yeah, um, yeah. Uh, was, was uh, his big break and everything, but he was always Schwarzenegger's always been, I think considered an eighties guy, even though he had a few movies before that, um, you know, uh, Stallone is unique. I don't know if there's anybody else that could say that they've been in a franchise like that yeah. and uh, much less two. Uh, and had to deal with the difference in the decades like he did. I think he's got more, I mean, I'm talking out of my ass a little bit here, but I think he's got more respect and clout uh, from a performance and filmmaker standpoint than anybody like Bruce Willis or Schwarzenegger or Vin Diesel or The Rock has, has really ever had because he's shown his range over time. And I think those bona fides in the 70s really solidified that. Mm-hmm. Bona. Bona. I just came across a thread on Reddit that posed the question, what film characters have you fallen in love with? Mm. I surprised myself with how few I came up with, but I liked how it got me thinking about which characters I could see myself having a deeper connection to, as opposed to just finding them or the actors playing them attractive. What do you guys, mm. who characters have you fallen in love with? Mm. Um, so Amelie, uh, oh, yes, yes. Although, you know, now that I've said it out loud, I am sitting there thinking about what a relationship with Amelie would be like. And I'm wondering <laughs> if I would like that at all. Like, I love it in the movie, but would I like that in the relationship? I'm not sure. Uh, but, uh, but Amelie is, uh, is someone that I've fallen in love with. I don't think I've seen, and I like Audrey tattoo a lot, but I don't think I've seen Audrey tattoo in another role where I'm like, Oh, I'm in love with her or anything like that. I mean, she's been in like Da Vinci code. Yeah. How about that? Like, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, uh, Rosemary cross played by Olivia Williams and Rushmore is, uh, oh. is another one mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that I've fallen in love with. And Annie Sandra Bullock and speed. Uh, is oh yeah. One. Oh yeah. You can't Sandra start Bullock off. With intense situations or sex, though. Or I guess you can start off with sex. Yeah, but then you can always be the Jason Patrick and swoop in after Keanu Reeves. There you go. Well, how was that explained, by the way? I Uh, I forgot Speed 2. They broke up. Well, I think they said because the intense situations, uh, you know, they 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 brought that up. Yeah, they just leaned into it. Yeah. I, uh... You know, it was Demolition Man and Speed, one-two punch of Sandra Bullock cuteness mm. there for me. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a good pick. 
Um, I I fell in love uh, very very much uh, with um, <clears throat> Penny Lane in Almost Famous, which yeah, I think probably idea, everybody does. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. uh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Listen, you've heard some stories about my college girlfriends. I'm attracted often to the wrong type of people, <laughs> um, but everybody in that movie is in love with Penny Lane in some yeah. manner. Uh, and you know she shot really well, but credit to Kate Hudson for playing that character uh, so perfectly. Uh, but from my childhood, it was uh, Cindy Mancini, played by Amanda P- Peterson in Can't Buy Me Love, which is Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, he pays, pays the popular girl to date him uh, for a month or so, so that he can get popular. Mm-hmm. And she starts to fall for him, but once he gets popular, he dumps her. Because he's an asshole. I don't think she did a lot of acting after this. Because I, I looked her so up either. a couple days ago when I did prep for this. Uh, but man, she was my secret girlfriend for like a year and a half. She didn't know. And that was that. That was that great scene where Patrick Dempsey's like, "Am I a bet? Am I a fucking bet?" <laughs> <laughs> Everybody remembers that. Yes, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. It's funny. Are you done? I'm sorry. I'm done. Yes. It's funny you mentioned Almost Famous because I kind of fell in love with all the Band-Aids, like mm, uh, yeah, Anna Paquin and Feruza Balk. Mm-hmm. Um, Does anybody remember laughter? <laughs> let's deflower the kid. Let's deflower the kid. <laughs> <laughs> Another Anna, Anna Klumsky, uh, oh, yeah. was my imaginary girlfriend in My Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I wanted her to look at me the same way she looked at Macaulay Culkin <laughs> before he died. Yeah, exactly. I was going to give the ball to Marshawn Lentz, but I died. <laughs> so that was my childhood one. Uh, I've covered Christina Ricci. I'll tell you one person that, that worked her way into my heart almost immediately. It was from her stand-up. It was from her brief appearance in The Cable Guy. And it probably solidified during, uh, for Wet Hot American Summer, Janine Garofalo. Oh. Uh, Janine mm-hmm. Garofalo, for whatever reason, uh, her character Beth in Wet Hot American Summer is just so chill, but also uh, so funny and so pretty in an unusual way. Uh, I, I've, I've loved her since I saw her at uh, Improv. I saw her on Reality Bites in the cable guy and stuff like that. So I've, I've kind of just, just stalked her from afar. Mm, 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 Anyway, mm. we'll move off of that. Uh, Speaking of hot messes uh, like Penny Lane, I would love to get my hands on (laughs) Anne Hathaway's character from love and other drugs. Oh yeah. Jesus. Oh my God. She's a a bad idea. Talk about a bad idea. <laughs> oh, you know, my goodness. But I feel like we would have such a nice time together. They've been, they've been naked together a couple times. Yep. Broke back. Broke back and loving other drugs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, they feel yeah, comfortable man, naked. Mainly loving other drugs, though. <laughs> well, yes, but but she does get naked and broke back. She does. I'm saying like like a bulk of it, the 95% of it. Yeah, that movie is all nudity, isn't it? All nakedness. It is. like You don't really see a great many movies like that these days, like R-rated romance with a lot of like sadness built in, like some some, uh, 
themes about uh, corruption in the the medical supply industry like that that movie's a unicorn it's not very good <laughs> not a good it's, it's a unicorn it's like and the she, kind of unicorn that shits on your porch yeah it's yeah. rare but you still don't want it coming around it's the type of movie where a doctor tells a tells a woman to take off her shirt just so that he can look at her boobs yes hank azaria yes, Yes, it's not good. That's mm-hmm. not good. But no. she's delightful. <laughs> There's something in her that I just I, I want to touch. Yeah. Uh, the I'd... last one is the last one is I, I, I'm I'm torn between this because I think uh, I could have a relationship with Adam Driver's character in Black Klansman because he's so pure of heart. He's so committed to his job. He's so easy going even in the conversations that he has with john david washington when they're you know gathering evidence and stuff like that he, he's not over dramatic about things like he'll talk about his jewishness but it never really was like a big concern to him uh but now that it's being pointed out all the time he's starting to be concerned so he seems like an honest dude uh he's blazingly hot <laughs> and uh yeah hey, he's got a good job he's on the he's on the boulder colorado police office thing. that scene where john david washington's on the phone and he's asking for some reading materials and he starts going through all these like racial epithets and everything and adam driver you they show they cut to adam driver who's like just very slowly turns in his chair while he's <laughs> looking at all this going on it's the, one of the best Oh, it's so good. Oh, he's fantastic. I was thinking maybe his character from Marriage Story because I think he's misunderstood. I think they're both misunderstood. Uh, and that's kind of the point of Marriage Story. But uh, he's a little too volatile for me in Marriage Story. This is a very straightforward question, but I love it. Uh, what is the most famous performance by your favorite actor? What's your favorite mm. performance by them? My favorite, this person's favorite, is Donald Pleasance. He mm, plays Dr. Loomis in Halloween, of course. Jonathan uh, Watkins turning in of question. That's yes, right. Seriously. From Jonathan W. <laughs> from uh, south of Nashville. Uh, my favorite Donald Pleasant role of his is Ellis Fowler in the Twilight Zone episode, The Changing of the Guard. I do remember that episode, and he's awesome in that. He's got awesome performances all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think? Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, – it's hard to for me to know who my favorite favorite actor is, but I know that um, one actor that is always just consistently great in everything that I've ever seen him in is Paul Newman. Oh, yeah. And um, it's hard to really pinpoint what his most famous one is. I think it's either The Hustler or Color of Money or Cool Hand Luke, which is maybe the more famous movie out of that group. I'm not sure. Mm. But uh, the performance that I think is my favorite of his is The Verdict. I don't know if you guys have ever seen The Verdict. Oh, for Um, sure, yeah. uh, But this is a guy who is, um, he's, this, he's, you know, he's, not a good lawyer he's anymore anyway he's an ambulance chaser he's going to people's funerals and giving out cards to people he doesn't even know um he is he's got this one case that he thinks he can just settle out of court and just make a bunch of money and not care about it or whatever 
but as he starts investigating it and he starts talking to people and he talks to the one turning point in the verdict that I love is he's talking to this doctor and the doctor is telling him about the case and saying, yeah, these doctors really fucked this up. This is, you know, this is a slam dunk case. And he's like, well, we're going to settle out of court. And he's like, why would you do that? You can sue these guys for millions of dollars for what they, what they did and everything. And you can see him in his, in his mind, maybe at first it's for the money. He's like, Oh, we could do more for the money, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but he is, he's, you know, he, it, it's a typical Hollywood thing for a, an actor to do an alcoholic, you know, <laughs> but it's not that fall over everything. Like, you know, it's not, it's not to the point of leaving Las Vegas or something like that. It's, he's got a real problem, but it's not to the point of, you know, just ruining the movie almost uh, that, you know, you see beer, he's like crashing through beer bottles when he gets home and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, but his performance in that is, is, uh, is unreal. And I love it when the verdict is read and just the f- look on his face, during that at the end by the way if you guys out there haven't seen the verdict that is a must watch movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sneaky you know he had so much of the uh charity stuff and the uh the condiment empire he's yeah. got a sneaky great laugh half last half of his career yeah uh between road to perdition the verdict mm-hmm. and even you know the cars the starting off in the cars uh, franchise uh, in the meantime, he's still racing until he's like, what, in his 60s or something like mm-hmm. that? I don't had think an we should. Life. I don't think we should ever talk about Paul Newman without mentioning his food brand that he started and grew into a multi million dollar company that donates every cent of profits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they pay off their expenses and their employees, but they are not in business to make money. They're in business, they sell pasta sauce and salad dressing so that they can help people who have nothing. And that's just mm-hmm. that's my favorite piece of his legacy. He was a fantastic actor, mm. uh, loved racing, but he was an even better human being. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, my two favorite actors are Chris Pine and Denzel. Yeah. I'm going to give you one for each. <clears throat> Chris Pine is probably most known for Star Trek. Uh, Acting-wise, probably most uh, well-regarded for Hell or High Water. Mm. Uh, I'm going to tell you his performance in Horrible Bosses 2 goes for it i i don't think i would like this movie as much if he wasn't all in and yeah. i think that you know that may be what kept the first one from being as good because colin farrell wasn't maybe as all like chris pine is having the time of his life playing this rich kid who hates his dad and wants to Get in on the fake kidnapping scheme. He just relishes that. Anyway, Denzel's probably most known for Training Day or his yeah. early stuff like Glory. Um, but I honestly do think his best performance is Courage Under Fire, which, again, is a man battling demons with alcohol. Um, and, you know, if you haven't seen that movie, um, there's a couple different scenes. One, when he's outside the car watching his kids play. Um, and his wife comes out to the car and basically says, you have to leave or the kids are going to see you because he's drunk. Mm. Uh, it's powerful shit. And then there's another time where he calls her and he says, I'm thinking about having a drink. And she's like, well, you don't have to. And he says, this phone booth in the rain. And just mm-hmm. it's gut wrenching watching this man navigate his own demons um, in order to get to the truth of this story. Um, <clears throat> I love that movie. I'm not saying it's an A plus plus for everybody, but, but that performance I think gets overlooked a lot. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, good call. 
Now, the first person, it's weird. I, if you asked me, and I had time to think about it, who my favorite actor is, I probably wouldn't have said George Clooney. But for some reason, he's the first one that popped into my mind uh, because he has a lot of my favorite performances. Now, as a director, mm-hmm. not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously, and I spent a lot of time thinking about this, I don't think you can say he's got a more famous uh, portrayal than Danny Ocean in Ocean in the Oceans franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to think that he's more well known for Out of Sight uh, or some of his Cohen stuff that he's done, uh, especially Burn After Reading and things like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, he can't, and he's he's great as Danny Ocean in these movies, even the ones that like Twelve that I don't like very much. He's not the problem with them. Uh, mm-hmm. He actually has a pretty magnetic performance. That that shot of him which we parodied in the, the outtake in the, the uh, video, the sense video where mm-hmm. he's just looking at uh, Vincent Cassell and really putting him on blast. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite performance from George Clooney, I think is probably Oh brother. Where art thou? Any of yeah. his Coen brothers <laughs> stuff is great, but he's given so much to do as Ulysses Everett McGill uh, in this, unique wholly unique character he's a loud mouth that knows it all but he also does have some knowledge he's obsessed with his hair he's uh able to you know to get his family back together eventually he's able to outsmart the uh the uh, powers that be uh and so he really does have the quote hero's journey based on ulysses uh in that movie and i still think that's a little bit of an underrated or underseen uh movie I also would throw in it from Dust Till Dawn, but uh, that's not really worth watching. Well, that was a good one, though, to to shed him from his ER uh, thing because he was such a bad guy in that movie. Yeah, he was a badass, too. I uh, that what's the what is the line in Oh Brother Where Art Thou where he's asking for the Dapper Dan? And the guy's like, it's a, it's a seven days. Does he say seven it's days? It's two weeks. He's so, like, ain't this a, geog- <laughs> a geographical oddity? Two weeks away from everything. <laughs> lines. Oh, and he just sinks his teeth into him, man. They're so good. Oh, uh, he's terrific. He, he, you know he was committed because he wanted he wanted to do the singing, and he tried. And the oh, yeah. Like, oh, it's not good enough. But he was, yeah. he was throwing himself into that role for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Before I get into the um, uh, final spiel here, I didn't do my uh, review of all the uh, recommends and warns. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Jeremy warned liberal arts, uh, the Josh <laughs> Radner flick where he directs, writes, directs, and stars in with Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, I recommended In and of Itself, which is on Hulu, and Barrett recommended Night School. Kevin Hart. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that you're even saying that. I know, I know. I can't either. But, uh, yeah, uh, anyway, um, uh, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, keep going to Syncast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sense Twitter, and we're on SoundCloud, and we're on Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to our Reddit page and find a link on the right side there, or you can private message me on Facebook, and I can give you a link from there. That's going to do it for this episode. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasends.com.
Ophelia, here's uh, so uh, I got out a little bit early. I went uh, about nine, and I went in the sweet spot because Publix. They were like, "You, we just restocked, and we're going to get slammed this afternoon." So this was a good time to come in. And I was like, because we ate all the food from the last ice storm. <laughs> right. and I was like, if we're going to get through the until Saturday, we need a little bit more, especially the growing kid. Uh, and so I. You know, I get out, you know, well, Chris knows my driveway is like 45 degree angle. Um, and uh, so I was slipping going back off of it, but I had salt. So I threw that on there. And then when I was coming up, I was like, hmm, either I could put this into low and into my way up there and probably slide or just fucking nail it and see what happens. <laughs> so I've nailed it. <laughs> I got up and I was fist bumping. I was like, yeah, man, I got food. Like everything's cool. And then I realized I forgot my medication that I had to pick up from Kroger. And I was like, I need that today. And so I took another stab at it. And in that 30 minutes or so, there was probably a thousand percent more traffic on the roads. So not only are you having to deal with, you know, the slippage and all that stuff. You're having to deal with other people who can't handle the slippage. And that was, that was fraught with, with all kinds of madness. I was stupid, man. I went to the store. uh, When did the, when did the storm happen? Monday night? Monday. Sunday night. Well, Sunday it started getting slick. uh, And then Sunday night into Monday. I don't think I knew that there was going to be that kind of snow coming down. And I thought it would be melted away. Yeah. Uh, like, like it always the, is the next day. Yeah. So I went to the store not to go there because of snow happening, just because it was a general whatever. And I didn't buy any extra things or whatever. And just, uh, just was like, okay, this is going to be your normal shit. Now I'm sitting here on Wednesday and I'm like down to my last couple of days of, uh, of food and everything. Yeah. And of course I'm not that much of an asshole to get, uh, Uber eats to come out here and fucking give me right. anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. although I have, I have done a very <clears throat> asshole thing and ordered stuff off Amazon, which I don't know how they're going to deliver, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I was sitting there like I, I was th- sitting there thinking after, I got back and I started hearing about how bad it was going to be and everything. I was like, fuck, I was just there. I could have bought all sorts of shit. Just all sorts of shit because there was nobody there. Like I just bought everything I wanted and it would have been fine and I would have been the smartest person in the entire (laughs) town. Instead, I went straight down to the dumbest. I have enough to get through today, tomorrow, probably Friday. Yeah, you should be all right. You'll be all right. You should be all right. And so then once Friday, once Friday rolls around now, now that is just variety of food. If I wanted to, I could eat oatmeal all day if I wanted to, or eggs or anything like that, that I've got plenty, (laughs) but it's been, it's been five days since my ketchup ran out. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, fuck, can you say some more? Well, I can say a lot. Uh, uh, I don't often, because I'm a man of few words. You know, everybody knows me as a man who almost never talks. Mm-hmm, a man mm-hmm. who says more with one word than most men can say with 20. 
That's right. I was watching that Richard Gere, the hoax movie again, because mm-hmm. it was on. But I fucking love that scene where he's listening to Howard Hughes and he starts imitating him. And now, furthermore, and then like it just cuts to a scene where he's impersonating Howard Hughes doing this amazing impression into the microphone. Well, furthermore, a pocket change of five million. Anyway, <laughs> but there was this weird moment on Friday, late in the day, where I was like, "I want to watch Civil War, like Captain America: Civil War." Why? I, I, I have no clue. But I was like, maybe I remember more about that fondly uh, than uh, uh, than I thought. And part of the reason is because I was watching WandaVision and uh, and it had the Lagos thing in it. And I was like, uh, what was Lagos again? I remember Sokovia, New York and all that stuff. But, oh, yeah, Lagos was in Civil War. So I watched a little of that and I ended up watching most of it. I skipped through a few of the boring bullshit like Bucky killing the parents again. Um, and everything building up to that fight. But then, God damn it, it was about 11 o'clock at night, started watching Infinity War. <laughs> you got no one to blame but yourself on that shit. Oh, my God. Because I had seen Winter Soldier fairly recently, and I was like, ah, that was a little better than I remembered. Civil War, actually, that was a little better than I remembered, even though it's still completely ludicrous. Uh, and Infinity War... Gets better every time I watch it. I think Endgame gets worse every time I watch it. Yeah, Infinity War is the superior of those two, I believe. Uh, but they man, just, I tell you stri- what, it's never mind. I don't no, it's like wrapping movies. yourself in a warm blanket. Like those, that's what those movies are intended to be: is wrapping yourself in a warm blanket and just watching superheroes do superhero shit. Mm, okay. <sighs> All right. Civil War, though, man, I can't forget that one. You can't forget, forgive or forget that one. I just, I just, I just hate that movie. Um, From a logistical standpoint? All kinds of standpoints. Every single person in that final fight is pulling their punches, so it doesn't matter. And I continue to assert to this day that you you could have written it with Cap and Tony on opposite sides of that disagreement. And I think it would have played just fine because... um, Yeah, there's they didn't they didn't build that enough for me. It just kind of became, oh, let's, let's have everybody fight each other uh, in one big scene, and people will love it. And they did, and not me, because there's no motivation for any of it, and there's no consequences. And Rhodey gets shot out of the sky and has magic legs thirty seconds later. <laughs> That's true. Almost everything that I hate about the MCU is is most prominent in Civil War. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Everything oh. around the fighting, though, is 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 good. I think. Yeah. Okay. All these characters have different motivations. All of a sudden, to be on whatever side that they're on in that in that battle and everything. Yeah. We, I think, we wore out Ant Man on <coughs> the fact that you know the whole first movie he was in was like, I got to avoid jail. I got to see my <laughs> daughter, and then he's on yeah. fucking Cap side in that fucking battle. And There's one line, man, where he's just like, uh, you'll, you'll be a criminal. And he's like, yeah, what's new? Like, no, right. no, 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 you didn't spend a whole goddamn movie with you trying to see your daughter that, you know, that basically you can't say that anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
Tony just being able to find Spider-Man and then bringing a kid into the battle and all this other, you know, I mean, there's so many things wrong with that. You would not and bring a 15-year-old into that battle, and that fucking Spider-Man does not change the course of the battle, goddammit. Mm-hmm. Why'd you get, why'd you even say Civil War, Barrett? I don't want to fight about this. There Let's is, there is no change of the battle. But yeah, it is, because it's it's funny. I think your major problem is that battle. And I understand that, but I like everything else around it. I like the addition of Black Panther coming in. I like the addition of Spider-Man coming in, even though it's ridiculous. Uh, I like the uh, Wanda being an Avenger, especially after getting more in tune with her character in WandaVision. Um, I like the embiggened uh, Ant-Man. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything about that. I mean, even fucking Clint and and, uh, Black Widow are like, we're still friends after this, right? And Wanda's like, you're pulling your punches. Like, Fuck you. The, uh, the, I don't like any of the uh, Daniel Brühl stuff either. The, um, no. All that's a bunch of nonsense. The, uh, the, th- I, the thing that's unforgivable in that movie to me is Tony being so emotional about seeing his parents <laughs> dying that yeah. he decides he's going to start battling Cap and Bucky because... Oh, Cap knew about it and didn't tell me. And like, what, what does it matter? What does it fucking matter? You knew Bucky was under. You know, you knew Bucky was under a mind control. He he's not doing that on his own. So yeah. just because Cap saw it in a brief, brief scene, like that, he knew that that was happening. You know, what I mean, it, Tony's like, you knew. Oh my god, let's battle over this shit. <laughs> oh my god, that whole that whole ending is problematic. Yep. And, and, uh, and people, yeah, people love it, man. And it's, it, to me, it's, it's almost, um, whenever you say something to the effect that, you know, that I feel like is a good point about those things, they're always, the people who love it are always like, no, no, that's what I loved. Oh my God. Blah, blah, blah. That's what you loved. Seriously. I don't think I heard you say that until I said I hated it. Yep. Uh, with cap, he heard something, he saw something. But like after he gets his anger out, he's still gone, man. He's like, I want to murder this guy for not telling me that his best friend, who's who's mind controlled, killed my parents. Is this even a guy who would get that upset about his nothing parents about, being dead thirty years about, ago? Well, no. I, I think they're trying to set up the emotional stakes of it with that first scene at MIT where, where he's going through that whole, right. uh, but no prior thing. movie has made no. him. I love my parents so much. In fact, prior movies have made his dad like complex at not Yeah. Not like maybe the kind of dad who was gone all the time and wasn't around for Tony. So you find out 30, 40 years after he's dead, you find out the person that killed him and, and Tony's just going to go what? Like insane. That doesn't make yep. any sense at all. Real yep. Tony would be like, "Oh, that's interesting. Take a drink." Like, there's gotta be, <laughs> there's gotta be a better setup to that fight happening than what they came up with. Mm-hmm. I think they, I think the filmmakers think it is the most stunning revelation ever that yeah. Bucky, while mind controlled in parentheses, uh, you know, killed killed his parents. And, and, uh, you know, the, they seem to forget that. Like they, it's like the filmmakers forget that, that he's mind controlled and they, and they forget that Tony knows that. And Tony just yep. gets totally upset about it and fucking, oh my God, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, 
that and and you know i I think people hold winter soldier too high up in regard and um winter soldier doesn't have any logistical holes in it as much as in or uh civil war except for uh uh, Nick Fury being able to carve through the fucking concrete mm-hmm. of the road <laughs> well, and, to get out. Well, and that that was something we send in the video, and people were like, "Well, if you watch the uh, uh, Agents of Shield, you'll see that they have that technology and blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Fuck you and your Agents of Shield. Nobody <laughs> gives a fuck about Agents of Shield. It's one of those Lord of the Rings. Why does Gandalf go to research the ring after he sees Sauron in the ring? Uh, type of things." <clears throat> Where, you know, in the book, he doesn't touch the ring because he's like, I better not touch that shit. And in the movie, they're like, we better have him touch that shit so that we can show sorrow. Then they kill her husband and they feel really guilty. (laughs) Man, I love me some Elizabeth Olsen. She's growing on me. I like her a lot. The first, first few times I saw her, like that Marcy... Magdalene May yeah. vagina. <laughs> uh, she's so her character is so uh catatonic almost mm. that acting wise it wasn't it wasn't a, a showy role. And then I see her in Godzilla next, and I'm like, I don't really know here, but yeah, the more I watch her, the more I think she's got great talent. God, I forgot she was in Godzilla. <laughs> I think I've forgotten that entire movie. I remember King of the Monsters more than I remember the. Oh, see, it's the opposite for me because there's another there's another reference they could do in uh, a Wandavision with uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson is that one. Uh, some people think they did because shit. What was the? It felt like a stretch to me, but I read an article uh, and somebody was counting up all the references, and somebody says a line that reminded somebody of a line set in Godzilla and they tried to connect that mm. thread as though the show was referencing Godzilla, but I didn't, I didn't buy it. Yeah. I mean, it, that would have to be pretty obvious. Like the, the, the that kick-ass line, just the way they did it in that, right. That show, I was like, there's no way they had Evan Peter say kick-ass and Elizabeth Olsen just think to herself, kick-ass without that being a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 